Amen. Let's take our Bibles tonight, please. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 20. 2 Kings chapter 20, our series on the heart tonight is the perfect heart. The perfect heart. 2 Kings chapter 20. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll take an offering to be a help to the Dobb family. Just had to come home for an emergency visit, the death of Bill's mother. And so we want to try to help them if we can. And so through February 14th, on the next couple of weeks, we'll receive that offering. We've set a date on it so that we can get it all together as quickly as possible and get that to them. I know you love the Dobb family. You'd like to be a blessing to them. So if you're able to, that's up to you. It's a free will offering. Nobody's going to twist your arm. But as the Lord lays upon your heart, would you uh, be a blessing to them? Second Kings chapter 20. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. The prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die, and not live. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight, and Hezekiah wept sore. And it came to pass... Afore Isaiah was gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again, and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears, behold, I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up unto the house of the Lord, and I will add unto thy days fifteen years. And I will deliver thee in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, take a lump of figs. And they took and laid it on the boil and he recovered. Let's pray. Father, help us, Lord, tonight to understand the word of God. Speak to our hearts. May the spirit of God do his perfect work. Father, I'm, I'm pleading with you tonight. That if, if we have come here and we are not willing to submit to the Spirit of God and allow the Word of God to speak to our hearts, we have just wasted our time. And so Lord, may the Spirit of God help each one of us sweep through this room and teach us tonight, show us something new and fresh. And help us, Lord, as we consider this topic of the perfect heart. Father, I need your help, and so I ask that you'd fill me. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, King Hezekiah was sick. We learn in verse 7 that he had a boil. No doubt it was causing an infection to rage throughout his body. And Isaiah the prophet, who really needs to work on his bedside manner, said, Thou shalt die and not live. In case he didn't understand what die meant. He was very straight with him, wasn't he? You're going to die, you're not going to live. And this drove Hezekiah to prayer. Hezekiah said this, he's grieving his own death, and he says, I beseech thee, O Lord, verse 3, remember now how I've walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. The king claimed 
that he had served God with a perfect heart. Now that's one thing for me to say to you, and it's another thing for you to say to me, but to make that claim to the God who can see our hearts, that's a whole other ball game. Hezekiah lived his life in such a way that he was confident in coming to God and said, God, you know my heart, and I've served you with a perfect heart. My motives have been pure. The word perfect means to be at peace with God. It is settled, a settled heart, because it always seeks God first. It can also mean complete or whole, which means when Hezekiah was serving God, there was no hidden motives. He wasn't holding back a part of his heart. There wasn't just a part of his heart that was pursuing God and another part that was pursuing riches or fame or some other thing. He was all in. The motives of his heart were always to put God first, to serve God with a perfect heart. The task at hand in serving God was the most important thing at that moment. There was no hypocrisy in his heart. He was completely motivated and dedicated to serving God. Now the Bible says, as he concluded his prayer and told God he had a perfect heart, that God instructed Isaiah, turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, and I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up unto the house of the Lord, and I will add unto thy days fifteen years. And I will deliver thee in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. I think it's clear to see that God cherishes a perfect heart. Hezekiah just simply prayed to God and said, God, remember that I had a perfect heart. I tried to obey you all the things that I did, but it wasn't just surface obedience. It wasn't me just following the command. I did it because I honestly desired to please you. There was a sincerity in my heart. It was perfect before you. I was holding nothing back in my service. And God said, be healed. God was concerned about the perfect heart. You know, I, I think it's important tonight that we understand that we are not perfect. We are sinners. I was talking to somebody this morning and said, you know, pastor, I have this problem. And I said, let me let you in on a secret. I'm a sinner too. We're all sinners. We are not perfect. We are flesh. The outward man is carnal, but God has given us a new heart. The inward man is to be changed and to be renewed and to be made more like the image of Christ every day. And God said to us that we are to strive to be perfect. That means in motive. Yes, we sometimes fail and yes, we sometimes sin. But for the most part, can you say tonight that your heart is perfect? Boy, it seems like a high and lofty word, doesn't it? If I said to you tonight, is your heart pure? You might say, well, I, you know, I think so. Or, is your heart striving to be good? You might say, well, I, I'm trying. Well, we ask, is it perfect? We have to kind of shrink in our seats, don't we? Because we all know that we've missed the mark, that we have fallen short of God's desire for our lives, but we are to strive to serve God with the right motives. 
with the right heart. I want to give you some things tonight I hope will be a help and a blessing to you. And first of all, turn, if you will, to Genesis chapter 17. We're going to look through the Bible a little bit tonight, so have your Bibles ready. Genesis chapter 17. I want you to notice, first of all, the condition of the perfect heart. The condition of the perfect heart. Now, verse 1 says this. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. <clears throat> can you imagine such a command? Can you really think about that? You know, there, there's very few people in the world that we would describe as perfect. I really, honestly, I think we could scratch our heads all night and we would not come up with a name. We'd we'd be difficult and hard-pressed. And even if we thought they were perfect, there's probably something going on in their heart. Be perfect. God said, walk before me and be perfect. I don't believe he ever expected Abram to be sinless. You remember that Abram doubted God. And gave his wife, uh, gave Hagar to bear a child. And Ishmael was born because he did not trust the promise of God that God would give him a son in his old age and that he would be born by Sarah. He doubted God. He wasn't perfect. But God said, be thou perfect. Abraham sinned and we sin. It is not about our performance. We need to understand that tonight. Having a perfect heart is not about our performance. You're going to see that time and again throughout the scriptures tonight. We can strive to have a perfect lifestyle, but it just doesn't happen. God asks us to have a perfect heart. We will never be perfect in the flesh. Now listen, those that are a child of God, we ought to be more Christ-like. We ought to be growing, and we ought to be striving, but we are not perfect. Turn back to 1 Kings chapter 15. 1 Kings chapter 15. <coughs> I just wanted you to note tonight quickly that Abraham was asked of God to be perfect. Now, does God ask something of any man that he is not capable of achieving? Again, I don't believe that Abram was perfect in his flesh, but I believe that we can be perfect in our hearts. Now, we're going to see the story of some kings. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 15, Now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat reigned Abijam over Judah. Three years reigned he in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Makah, the daughter of Abishalom. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father. Now, without context, this verse becomes very quickly confusing, doesn't it? The Bible says he walked in the sins of his father, and then later it says his heart was not perfect like his father David. Well, it can't be both, can it? Understand in the culture that people were living in, your father, your grandfather, your great-grandfather, your great-great-grandfather might all be considered or referred to as your father. Now, Abijam, his father, was a fellow by the name of Rehoboam, 
We learn about him at 1 Kings chapter 14, right at the end of the chapter. The Bible says, And Rehoboam slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And his mother's name was Nama and Ammonitus, and Abijam his son reigned in his stead. So when the Bible says he walked in all the sins of his father in verse 3 of chapter 15, he's referring to Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the son of Solomon, who was the son of David. So for, your, uh, for those who are into ancestry, you, you'll start with David, Solomon, Rehoboam, Abijam, and in a few moments we'll talk about Asa, Abijam's son. Now Abijam, the Bible says, he walked in the sins of his father. The Bible says that uh, his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God. As Now note this and underline it if you would. As the heart of David, his father. Now, wait a minute. Wasn't David the fellow that got caught in adultery? <laughs> Wasn't David the one that murdered Uriah the Hittite to cover up his sin? I did a little survey before I came to church, and the survey participant was just one person. I didn't survey 100. I only surveyed one. But it serves as an example. I asked my wife. I said, now, hon, let me ask you something. I said, this is just a survey, and I need you to answer very quickly. I don't want you to put much thought into it. I just want you to blurt out your answer as quickly as you can. I want to know what is the first thing that comes to your mind when I ask you this question. I said, when you are considering King David and King Solomon, which one do you consider to be godlier? And she says, oh, King Solomon. I said, why is that? She says, well, because David committed adultery with Bathsheba, and David got caught, uh, caught in his sin, and so he murdered Uriah the Hittite to cover it up, and, and on and on, and she said all these things. I said, you know that the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart? And that the Bible says tonight in our passage, I said, uh, the Bible says that he uh, did not walk with, uh, uh, he was, his heart was not perfect with the Lord as God as the heart of David his father? The Bible says that David had a perfect heart. Now the scripture clarifies that. If you look down in verse 5, the Bible says, because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. The Bible doesn't sweep sin under the rug. The Bible is very plain that David sinned. He took Uriah's wife, he committed adultery, they had a child out of wedlock, and then he killed Uriah. I mean, this was a gross misconduct. This was sin. I mean, there's no other way to soft soap, but there's no other way to label it. David failed. But God says he's a man after my own heart. This is a man that, for the most of his life, the Bible tells us that David lived for 70 years. And for over 69 of those years... He pursued God with a perfect heart. He failed, he sinned, but his motives were pure most of the time. You see, we need to understand tonight that when God is talking about a perfect heart, he's not talking about us being perfect outwardly. But he's saying, it's your heart that matters. What is going on in your heart? You see, right motives lead to right actions. Do you hear what I said? Right motives lead to right actions. David ruled the people very well for over 69 years, or well, he, 
He was king for 40, for over 39 years, we'll say, because his motives were right. Now he went up on that rooftop and he spied out a girl and his mind began to water and his heart changed and his motives weren't pure and he sinned. But as long as David's heart was right, he did great things for God. We need to understand that God is concerned about our hearts and he's concerned about the motives of our hearts. Now, this is going to take a little while to develop, but I want you to see tonight that this thing goes back and forth. There's some confusion here that I really struggled with, but I want you to see the whole picture and when we're done. Now, when we hold up the sheet of David's life, now picture me tonight. What what if I, I took that white screen up there and I just said, let's take all that off there. And, and Brother Judge, I want you to put a black dot right in the middle. I mean, have a nice white screen, but put a big old black dot right dead in the middle. And if I were to survey the crowd tonight and say, now what is it you see on the screens tonight? Your answer would likely be, I see a big black dot. The truth is, 99% of it's white screen. But we always go to that black dot, don't we? That's what we focus in on. And with David, we like to focus in on that sin. We like to look at his at Bathsheba, and we like to look at Uriah, but the truth is, most of his life was a heart that pursued God. And God says, I want you to have a perfect heart like that. I'm encouraged, to be honest with you, by the life of David, because I know that I'm a sinner too. And yet God says, I want you to have a perfect heart. I want you to pursue me. I want you to come after me with the right motives and give it all that you got. No hypocrisy. Just come after me. Now, the perfect heart, I want you to notice what we learn, first of all, is resolute. The perfect heart is resolute. Look what the Bible says in verse 5 about David in a perfect heart. Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life. David was resolute. In other words, you couldn't go up to David and you couldn't take him aside and say, listen, David, I, I, I know that God has commanded you to go up there and, and today's a day of worship and a day of prayer. And, and listen, but why don't, why don't we take the day off and go to the ball game and let's go have some fun. And, uh, I guess it wouldn't be a ball game. Let's go watch the chariot races. Let's go have some fun. No, David's heart was resolute. He just simply said, no, no, no. God told me I need to be here today. God told me that I need to worship him today. You couldn't discourage David in such a way. You couldn't come alongside him and say, David, listen, I, I understand this is the decision you made, and I understand you've been praying about it, but I don't think that's the right decision. And I've been talking to all these men over here, your counselors, and we've got together the 30 or the 40 of us, and we decided that this is a better way, and we are begging you and pleading you with you. This is what we think should happen. David wouldn't be swayed. He'd say, no, God told me to do this. I'm going to please God rather than man. You see, David's heart was resolute. Do you know there's a great peace in that? The perfect heart is resolute. The perfect heart says, my motives are pure. I want to serve God. I'm going to obey God rather than man. It doesn't matter what the world thinks. It doesn't matter that I'm mocked or scorned. It doesn't matter that people are going to put me down. I'm going to serve God. And I'm going to do it with my whole heart. The New Testament puts it this way. 
Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Turn over, just well, look at just down the chapter, verse 9 of chapter 15. We come to Abijam's son. His son was named Asa. The Bible says, in the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, and by the way, uh, King Abijam didn't reign for very long. The Bible says that he began reigning in the 18th year of Jeroboam, and now his son is reigning in the 20th year. It doesn't seem like God was pleased. And in the 20th year <coughs> of Jeroboam, king of Israel reigned Asa over Judah. And 40 and one years reigned he in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Makkah, the daughter of Abishalom. And Asa did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did David his father. And he took away the Sodomites out of the land and removed all the idols that his fathers had made. And also Mekah, his mother, even her, he removed from being queen. Because she had made an idol in a grove. And Asa destroyed her idol and burnt it by the brook Kidron. Asa had some courage. But the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was perfect with the Lord all his days. And he brought in the things which his father had dedicated and the things which himself had dedicated into the house of the Lord, silver and gold and vessels. Boy, it would have been nice to hear about King Asa's life that he had tore down the high places. I'm not sure why he didn't. It seems to me that he was adamant about serving God. The Bible says his heart was perfect all the days of his life. And he tore down idols and he cleaned up all the temple prostitutes. The Bible says he removed the sodomites from the land. And even, even when his mother was worshiping a false god. He destroyed that idol and he disqualified her from being the queen. He had some courage. And maybe there were some that would say, well, why didn't he take down these high places? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Could it be that he didn't have time? He was so busy fighting other spiritual battles that that's something that just never happened. Could it be that he Handled it a different way. Maybe he told people, don't ever go out of those high places again. We don't want to go up there. We don't want to be near those temples. And we don't want to be near those altars that have been erected. We're not going to worship those gods. And so we're not even going to go to those places where those gods used to be worshipped. I don't know how he handled it. But I want you to notice the Bible says that he, uh, his heart was perfect with the Lord all his days. You know, I, I, I got thinking about this and I got thinking about it like this. The Apostle Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. Thenceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. He said also, I have finished my course. But honestly speaking, I think if we were to take the Apostle Paul aside and say to him, Paul, was there any more you'd like to accomplish? Oh, yes. Boy, I would have loved to have seen a few more souls saved. That was his heart. He, he might have said, you know, I remember a little boy that I was witnessing to and telling about Jesus. And that boy was so close to being saved when his mother came and snatched him away. I wish I had a little more time with him. I'm not saying that 
Paul may have had any regrets. I, I believe he finished his course. I believe he had fought a good fight. I believe that he had done all that God had asked him to do. But I, ha I have no doubt in my mind that if Paul were given another 20 years, he would have relished the fact that he got to win more souls to Christ and he had a chance to plant more churches. I think Peter's the same way, preaching and preaching and preaching and it comes time for his death. And if you were to ask Peter, Peter, what would you have liked to accomplish? Oh, there's still more souls to be saved. The gospel still hasn't been heard in every place. There's always more we'd like to do. Perhaps if you were to ask Asa, if you get to heaven tomorrow, Asa, was there anything left? The Bible says your heart was perfect. Your motives could never be questioned. God was pleased with you. I'm sure he would have said, I wish I tore down those high places. If God had given me another year, that was on the, the calendar. If I had some more time, if I wasn't so busy with so many other things. I would have liked to have done that. Here's the point I'm trying to make tonight, friends. We cannot judge a perfect heart by accomplishments. We can't. It was interesting the other night, I, Brother Shelby, we went out to eat before the service. And Brother Shelby was here Wednesday night, if he weren't here, missionary to Kenya. And um, we were talking at the restaurant and and uh, he's from Arkansas. And when you're from Arkansas, it takes you about a week or so to get a sentence out. And he was just talking real slow, you know, and eating real slow. And, and uh, just he was the last one done eating. And he didn't say a whole lot. He just talked real, real slow and a drawl, you know. And, and we, we just listened and we were talking with him. And, you know, I got to be honest. In my heart, I'm thinking, I wonder what he's done. He really seems to struggle to communicate with people. I wasn't trying to be critical. I just, in my heart, I thought, you know, he just struggles communicating. You know what I, the Lord reminded me later, he's been talking Swahili for 17 years. English is now his second language. When he was preaching and searching for words, that's because he's probably preached 5,000 times, but 4,900 times of those have been in Swahili. It, it was difficult for him to switch back to English. And so I'm thinking, I wonder. And then when somebody, I think it was Greg that asked the question, you know, tell us about the churches you planted or something. And in 17 years, he planted 26 churches. Over 2,000 in attendance every week in these churches combined. They've started orphanages and schools. He's helped other missionaries start churches. They have over 40 churches combined. I thought, oh, wow, God can use anybody. Even somebody that's slow of speech and doesn't speak English as well as he probably did 20 years ago. Isn't that a blessing? Years ago, we had a missionary come through by the name of Eliezer Perez. Eliezer was the most unassuming guy you ever saw in your life. They, they called him Brother Ellie. And Brother Ellie came to the church and I, I, Brother McLean said, we're having him in, would you? And I, yeah, I'll have him in. And we were having Brother Ellie in and uh, Brother Ellie... Uh, had been in Spain. But in the year 2000, they kicked him, or in 1999, they kicked him out of Spain because they were afraid of Y2K. And they said, everybody that doesn't have citizenship here, you get out because when the economy crashes, we don't want to be responsible for you. Brother Ellie had gone to Spain back in 1990 with only $300 a month support. $300. He had a couple churches say, we know you, we'll support you. 
And he said, well, I'm going to go by faith and just trust God. And for nine years, he'd done that. Well, he, he had to come home anyway, so he came home and he, he met a girl. And he got married. And he said, well, I might need a little bit more support now. I'm married. I might have some children. So he came by the church and we went out again to supper before the, the prayer meeting that night. And we got talking. And, and I got to be honest with you, I was scared. I said, Brother Eliezer, tell me, uh, how many years were you in Spain? Nine years. Brother Eli, do you have a wife? Getting married in three weeks. He, didn't, he wouldn't even look at me. He was so scared. He wouldn't even look at me. He just kept his face down. I said, oh, well, that's wonderful. You met a girl? Yep. What's her name? He told me her name. But he just answered one word. He was scared of his own shadow. I thought, oh boy, he's going to preach tonight. And I, I was scared. He stepped into the pulpit and the Spirit of God stepped up. And he, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not lying to you folks. We had people walking down the aisle after service said, Brother Ellie, can we take care of your room for you tonight? Can we take you out to get you something to eat? What is it you need? And people were just throwing things at this guy. Because the Spirit of God had just pricked their hearts in such a way. And as soon as the preaching was over, he couldn't look anybody in the eye again. But when he preached, he was a tiger in the pulpit. And the power of God came through. And in my heart, I'm looking at him and I'm judging his behavior and I'm judging the outward things and I'm saying, but I think his heart was perfect. He was focused on that night on serving God. And God's spirit broke through. Brother Shelby has been focused on serving God and God's spirit has done the work because his heart is perfect. Is it perfect all the time? I don't know. But it seems to me that when he's in Kenya, he is sold out for God. You know, it's so difficult to understand what God means, but we see to a father and a son, Abijam, who was wicked and he followed not after David, his father, and David was called one with a perfect heart. But here he is, a man, Asa, who did not finish what people thought he should finish. And yet his heart was perfect. You see, it's not always about the accomplishments. It's about a heart for God. You'll be reminded, if I can just for a moment, remind you of a fellow by the name of King Saul, who was told to destroy the Amalekites, to utterly destroy them. Yet he saved their king alive. And he brought back some of their animals, he said, for sacrifice. And Samuel the prophet said, what is the bleeding of sheep I hear in my ears? To obey is better than sacrifice. I'm sure there were people that applauded King Saul. Isn't this wonderful? King Saul is merciful. He saved some people alive and he brought these animals back and oh, he's going to glorify God with this. And God says, no, I'm looking at your heart. I'm looking at your heart and it's not perfect. See, a perfect heart is not about accomplishments, it's about our motives. Are we serving God with a perfect heart? Secondly, tonight, I want you to think, consider for a few moments the condition of the perfect heart, but I want you to notice the challenge to maintain a perfect heart. It's not easy. And I think sometimes we can deceive ourselves. Turn, if you will, to 2 Chronicles chapter 25. 2 Chronicles chapter 25. <clears throat> Chronicles chapter 25. 
The Bible talks about King Amaziah. And this goes to prove about performance not indicating a perfect heart. The Bible talks about King Amaziah, and the Bible says about him, Amaziah was 20 and 5 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 20 and 9 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jehoiadan of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. Not with a perfect heart. You say, now wait a minute. A minute ago we had Asa, who didn't finish everything that people thought he should finish. And yet God said he had a perfect heart. And now we have Amaziah, who's obedient. Outwardly, people are looking at him saying, isn't Amaziah a great guy? I mean, look at that. God says something, he does it. He's obedient. He's following God. But God said, I see your heart and it's not perfect. You see, the outward performance isn't always an indicator. Now, if our heart is right, it ought to change our behavior. But Amaziah was serving the king. Maybe he was doing it out of fear. Maybe he served God and was obedient to God because he knew what God had done to past kings who did not obey him. But his heart wasn't cheerful about it. It's kind of like when we give an offering, isn't it? All right, the preacher's asking for more money. Here we go, throw it in the offering plate. Doesn't the Bible say God loveth a cheerful giver? See, your motives matter. Your heart matters. I tell you, if I give, I want God to bless it. I want God to use it. I want to be blessed because God sees my heart. And Well, we ought to love to give. We ought to love to serve. We ought to love to be involved in God's work. Listen, it is a privilege to serve God. Can I, can I just share with you, just real quick, something that discouraged me this week? You know, we had Brother Smith here Wednesday night, and Brother Smith's been battling cancer. His cancer, for all intents and purposes, they say is terminal. They will fight the symptoms for a while. They will battle off anything that comes on, but eventually, they said, it's, there's nothing we can do. It's going to take over. They don't know if he's got 10 years, 20 years, or two months. They don't know. And so I, I said, men, let's gather around Brother Smith and let's pray. Boy, I got to be honest, it discouraged me how few men came. I'm, I'm not trying to put you down. I'm not trying to fight with you. I'm just telling you my heart. It ought to be a privilege to serve God. That discouraged me Wednesday night. It broke my heart. I thought, you know what? Even if they hate me, can't they come pray for Brother Smith? Uh, that hurt. I'm just telling you the truth. I, again, I'm not trying to rebuke you in this. I'm just telling you how I feel. We have such a privilege to come to God in prayer and yet we'll sit with our arms crossed. God says that we have a responsibility to pray for the sick. We have a responsibility to bear one of those burdens. I know some might have come that didn't have pure hearts, but where are our hearts? when we can't gather and pray around a man of God. That's just my heart tonight. Our behavior doesn't always indicate our heart, but it should. Do we have perfect hearts? King Amaziah was right with God and the things that were visual and the obedience that he showed 
but he didn't have a perfect heart. And look what happened in verse 7. He had made a decision to gather an army. And there came a man of God to him saying, O king, let not the army of Israel go with thee, for the Lord is not with Israel to wit with all the children of Ephraim. But if thou go, wilt... But if thou wilt go, do it, be strong for the battle. God shall make thee fall before the enemy, for God hath power to help and to cast down. So Amaziah said to the man of God, but what shall we do for the hundred talents? He had paid this army. So what did he do? He sent the tribe of Ephraim home. He says, I don't want to disobey God. I don't want to lose the battle. So he sent them home with the money he had paid them and ended up winning the battle. But the Bible says in verse 14, Now it came to pass after that Amaziah was come from the slaughter of the Edomites that he brought the gods of the children of Seir and set them up to be his gods and bowed down himself before them and burned incense unto them. Wherefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Amaziah. And he sent unto him a prophet which said unto him, and I think this is a great question, listen to this. Why hast thou sought after the gods of the people which could not deliver their own people out of thine hand? Why would you, why would you trust these gods when you just slaughtered their people? They couldn't even protect them. Why would you get those gods? But you see, you remember earlier we talked about David's heart, how he turned not to the right or to the left. His heart was resolute. King Hezekiah, or sorry, King Amaziah, there's a lot of ayahs tonight. King Amaziah was obedient, but his heart was not resolute. His heart was not perfect. And it caused him to stray and follow other gods. You see, outwardly everything was okay, but inwardly there was a problem. You know, you say, well, that would never happen to me. No. How many people do you know that used to serve God, used to go to church, used to go to Bethel. I used to work in the bus ministry. I used to teach Sunday school. I used to help here and there. I used to go to soul winning. I used to come to prayer meetings. Used to, used to, used to. What happened? Their heart was swayed. They were once on fire for God and they were doing all the outward things, but their heart was not perfect before the Lord. It was not resolute. In 1 Kings chapter 11, we read about King Solomon who lived his life serving God. And for the sake of time, I won't have you turn there. He was serving God. He built the temple, even something that David was prohibited from doing. Yet he was swayed by his wives. Yes, you heard it right. Wives to serve other gods. Solomon understood the importance of a perfect heart. He prayed when dedicating the temple this way. Let your heart therefore be perfect with the Lord our God. To walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments. But his wives swayed him. He began to worship the idols of all those wives he took. The Bible says he was so kind to his wives that he even built temples for each of his wives. So that they could worship their, their idols. And Solomon would worship with them. His heart was not perfect. He was not resolute. It's a challenge to maintain a perfect heart. I want to give you this one more thing tonight. The critic of a perfect heart. The critic of a perfect heart. You remember my survey a few minutes ago? I asked my wife about King David and King Solomon, which one she thought was the godly king, and she said, well, I 
I guess King Solomon, because David, as we drove a little bit, she got thinking, well, Solomon struggled too, didn't he? His wives took his heart away, and he began to serve other idols. But you know, I think if I were to survey everybody in the room and not give you a heads up, say, just quickly answer me. King David, King Solomon, who was the godly king? Uriah and Bathsheba just jump right into our minds. We see that little spot on the white sheet. And we condemn a person for that and we criticize because of their failures. Rather than realizing that God had a plan for their life. Do you know that as we read the scripture, they kept comparing back to David? God said, he served not like David who had a perfect heart. He served not like his father David whose heart was perfect. David was a man after my own heart. David was the the standard. He was the one that God compared all the elders to, and yet all we think about is his sin. Do you know there's no doubt in my mind that Asa was criticized for not taking down the high places of worship? I I don't know if a, a king was appointed for life, but can you imagine if it was elections? Boy, elections turn people into animals, don't they? It's incredible. I, I've been watching the American stuff going on. It's, it's interesting to me. I've been watching that, listening to that. And I get a kick out of it sometime. I can't wait to hear what Donald Trump's going to say next. It just makes me giggle. I, and I'm not saying he's good or bad. I don't know. I'm just saying. Some of the things he comes up with, I'm telling you, crazy stuff. But uh, can you imagine... If King Asa was up for re-election, a man that was chasing after God's heart, a man whose motives were pure, a man who had a perfect heart that God recognized, you know what they'd say? Well, you didn't tear down the high places. They'd go after his weakness. That's what we tend to do. And it really is unfortunate when we attack people like that. But God says, I'm looking at the heart. I want you to have a perfect heart. Turn, if you will, and we're just about done. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Let's go back to David again. 1 Samuel chapter 16. You'll remember the story that Samuel the prophet came down to the house of Jesse seeking the next king of Israel. God had taken his blessing off the house of Saul. Not only did he disqualify Saul from being king, but none of his family would follow in his footsteps. That was the normal thing in in the age of uh, monarchy. So he's looking for another family and he Look for in all the sons, Eliab and, and, and Shammah and all these boys, seven sons walked across. And they said, he's not one of these. Where is he? The Bible says in verse 6, And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as a man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance. But the Lord looketh on the heart. As I've watched the American elections unfolding. I've, I've been overwhelmed with what I've seen. Do you, know, do you know what a lot of the big issues are? 
Of course, immigration is a big issue over there. But one of the big issues is money. We have trillions and trillions and trillions of debt. Yeah, that's important. But you know that these guys are all businessmen and they've got a hundred guys working underneath them that are businessmen and they know how to run businesses and put budgets together. That ought not be the most important thing. The most important thing is, does he have a heart for God? Is he going to serve God with a perfect heart? And as Samuel was looking through these brothers, he said, don't look on their countenance. Because even Samuel the prophet got caught up in it. Oh, Eliab, he's a strapping man. He looks like a king. Shammah, surely he's the one. And God said, don't look at that. Don't look at his countenance, the sight of his stature. I've refused all these boys because I look on the heart. You say, you know what, I, I want to be, be a man of God. Man, you say, I want to be a man of God. It doesn't come by what you do. We, we love to have people serve. We need people to serve. We want people to drive buses and pick up kids and teach something. We want all that. We need all that. But that doesn't make you a man of God. The heart does. Having a perfect heart before God. Why are you doing it? Well, I'm trying to, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, a, it's a good example for my children. Yes, it is a good example for your children, but is that why you're doing it? He said, well, it, you know, it, it impresses my wife that I'm serving the Lord. And I want to be a leader in my home. Those are good things. But if your answer is, I want to serve God because it's the right thing and I want to have a right heart with God, I want to have a perfect heart before God, that's the right answer. Because when you have a perfect heart before God, your behavior will follow. And you'll be a good example to your family and you'll be pleasing to people around you and you'll be a help in the church. But it all starts in the heart. Having the right motives. I gotta be honest with you. Over 22 years, there's been times where people have said, I, they get angry and they say, I don't wanna serve. I'm, not, I'm sick of this. There's just no recognition. And, you know, it bothers me. I'll say, oh, man, you know, we, we really needed them. They were a blessing. And my wife will always remind me, Alan, they didn't have the right attitude anyway if that's how they felt. You don't want that kind of heart serving God in the church. Yeah, that's right. Then it rebukes me, and I want to make sure my heart's right. Is your heart perfect before God? It's not easy, but it's what we're to strive for. Let's pray together. Father, help us tonight to learn the lessons of the kings of Israel, the kings of Judah. As some had perfect hearts and some did not, David, who committed some of the worst crimes that we can think of, and yet rather than focusing on that, God said he had a perfect heart. And Solomon for most of his life lived right, and yet... Because his heart was not perfect, he strayed away. He fell away from God. Father, we know that in the last days there will be a falling away. Lord, would you make our hearts resolute? Would you speak to us? May we be men and women of God that say, I'm going to have the right heart, the right motives, and I'm going to try to serve God with a perfect heart. Everything that I do, I'm going to be all in that I might not stray away from God when trials come. 
Well, Father, speak to us. Help us to have the right heart and the right mind towards us. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed tonight. The altar's open. If God has spoke to your heart, I really struggled with the, the message as far as laying it out correctly. I, I know that. But I'm praying that God's Holy Spirit would teach us tonight that it's about our hearts. Having a perfect heart before God. And if you want to be a man of God, it's not about all the outward things. It's about getting your heart right first. With the right heart, you will obey God and you will serve God. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. God wants the right heart when we give. The Bible says about those churches of Macedonia and Kai, they gave with a cheerful heart because a chapter earlier, they gave their own selves to the Lord first. They were all in. The Bible rebuked the Corinthian church because they had a readiness of mind. But later on, the other churches gave because God purposed in their hearts. It's about the heart, not the mind. Would you seek God tonight? You say, I want to be a woman of God. I want to serve God. Check your heart. It's not about what you're doing. It's about what's going on inside. The doing will come later. But let's have a people that have a heart for God, that want to do right for God, let's, that want to serve God with a perfect heart. Let's have that first. And then let's put it into action. Would you pray?